and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this fortnight, we're discussing Elasaway by Darcy Little Badger, which, full disclosure, I mispronounced incorrectly in the last episode. It's Elasaway, not Elatso. In this book, we have the story of Ellie, who lives in a world similar to ours, but with a little more magic, or a lot more magic. When Ellie's cousin dies and tells Ellie in a dream that he was murdered, Ellie works to figure out what really happened to Trevor. There's ghosts and vampires and coyote people, and of course, as always, chaos ensues. Um, you can learn more about the Lippin Apache tribe from their website. Ellie from the book is Lippin Apache, and so is the author Darcy Little Badger. There's an online museum, an education page, and a place to donate. Also, if you're not already, do you want to do this part? No, no, no I can. I okay. think I'm not sure if it's Lapan Apache. Oh, I heard it. Oh, I listened to it on the audio. Okay, cool. Then you know. Um, okay, do you want to do the self-promo? <laughs> do you want me to? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Y'all have heard the spiel. And we're going to give it again. If you're not already, consider joining us on Patreon. You get access to our awesome Discord, where you can make new friends with other bookish people. We're very supportive of each other on there. It's lovely. Um, and you also get early access to most episodes. We're a fun bunch, so come hang out with us. And you can join for as little as a dollar a month. Initial reactions. I'm just putting this out there at the beginning that you can sign me up to read literally whatever Darcy Little Badger writes because I loved, love, love, love this book. It's weird and strange and phantasmagorical and creepy and eerie and candid and funny and utterly relevant and just like the plot, the character relationships, the voice, just yes to all of it. I'm going to recommend it widely from now on. I adored this book. I'm not usually a big mystery person, but this one was so good. And I 100% agree. Darcy got the voice for Ellie so perfect. I really think this is one of those books where the teenagers seem like real teenagers. The family unit is solid, and I loved every second of it. Um, Darcy has a new book coming out November 9th, A Snake Falls to Earth, and I can't wait to dive in. There's also a super fun interview with We Need Diverse Books um, that I read this afternoon, and we'll link to it in the show notes so you can read it too. Why did we choose this book? I think it's been on some lists, right? Lots of lists. And um, it also might have been the gram. It's, it is on the gram. <laughs> <laughs> And also, we've really been wanting to increase the number of Indigenous authors in our show lineup. Yes, for sure. And we follow her on Instagram. And Darcy just seems like a lot of fun. Like, I want to be friends with her. So there's also that. <laughs> Recommend if you like. I would say any of this, like, classic horror YA, like R.L. Stein or Goosebumps, things like that. Also, if you're into paranormal investigator or mystery stuff, like shows like The X-Files or this is going to date myself, Fringe, X-Files is older than Fringe, but also a, a newer one, newer example would be Lovecraft Country. And also, if you like doggos, you should definitely read this book. There are so many pups. 
But also, if you don't like dogs, you should still read it. It was really good, and despite of the fact, like despite <laughs> the fact that there are lots of dogs. That's so right, Jesse's not a big dog person. <laughs> I am not. Um, I would also say what we do in the shadows. I haven't seen the TV show, but I've seen the movie, probably because of the vampires. But also, it's like kind of quirky in nature and. Um, also, I love Taika Waititi, so just watch anything he makes. And it's I also like do the show. He does the show, not the movie, but still. I've seen the or show. Something. I've seen both. The movie is hilarious, and mm-hmm. the show's funny too because it also it's just like so banal. It's like showing these supernatural beings and these like ev- like fighting with their roommates over the house cleaning, you know. So it's just like this mixture of the supernatural and like the everyday, and it just works so well. I totally, rec- I completely agree with this. Uh, this recommendation time to talk world building in through the wardrobe i would say that the main setting of the novel is this place called willoughby which is currently in texas but we come to find out isn't always in texas because it can move around and um willoughby is like this very were you imagining like like the quote-unquote colonial plantation style big houses with big lawns and like i don't or i don't know like i know because it's from new england oh shit (laughs) (laughs) there goes i was not close reading apparently i was thinking like cape cod-esque but like bigger you know for some reason i was envisioning like porches with big columns and i just always think plantation probably because the book is set in texas which is technically the south but i wouldn't consider it like the south south so it makes sense that you would picture that i I see i see so i just misread is what happened (laughs) it doesn't look like that everyone maybe it did but it's not what i pictured (laughs) but there are lawns and Mm -hmm. i have um in the show notes insert anti-lawn rant because i just hate lawns they just are a waste of resources and they're like so i don't it just feels very like human men must dominate nature like sort of vibe i'm not into it and they're just like so water intensive and then lawns make me think of golf courses and if i hate lawns then i really you can imagine how i feel about golf courses (laughs) (laughs) but lawns can be like a really nice place for kids to play and like safe and like comfy to fall down on so they're not like a hundred percent bad i'm not saying you can't just like can be bad i'm not saying like you can't have some grass like a patch of grass <laughs> that you cut. But it's just like, ugh, lads, the short lawn, the manicured lawn, it's suburbia. No thanks. <laughs> Says the person living in suburbia. Okay, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of my lawn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you just say this because <laughs> you have more to say about it than me. <laughs> Um, so oral storytelling is a really big part of this written story. Um, the, and the oral stories are really powerful. And we see how Ellie has told the story of how sixth grade died and, but she's only allowed to hear it once and she's only allowed to tell that story once. So there's like this big thing about the power of stories. And we hear like the story of Icarus and like, I think they kind of tell the story of Oberon and, you know, like Greek mythology, but there's also Apache mythology coming on, like going on. So um, lots of different oral stories being passed down. And it makes the past like not distant. It makes it like feel very tangible present if you will 
Yeah, exactly. We have fairy portals, which I thought with the traveling that you would appreciate. Um, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> it's just, it's a nice, I, I love when there's just like a clever narrative device that's like, uses the magical system, makes it work, and then it's just like, yeah, this is how we literally transport ourselves from one place to another. But only some people, because like Jay does it, but like Ellie's family doesn't. So that's I think the right. magic like works in different ways for different beings. <laughs> but that, weren't they also saying that they're like super the fae because we have like magical creatures, all sorts of magical creatures, which you hinted at in the synopsis. Um, but they were also like very controlling about who gets to use them, like you said. So I wasn't sure if it was like a hereditary thing, like only fae can go through the fairy portal or something. I don't even know. I assumed it was only them, but I'm not I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, and then also we have Ellie calling her parents by their first names, which was like a shock to me, <laughs> both because I'm from the South and because I'm black, I would never. <laughs> <laughs> so just different cultural Does norms. Does it mean I like think. disrespect if you did oh that? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. You'd be like in huge trouble. Like really very big trouble. Um, but yeah, but I think obviously just different cultural norms, which is fine um, and good. Um, but I was just like, why is she calling her mom Vivian? Like, why is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> Let's discuss all things magic. So we already talked a tad bit about Faye and fairies. Um, Jay, Ellie's best friend, is a descendant of Lord Oberon. Which I thought was cool that they're like taking like fey lore, and I didn't know like that Oberon from A Midsummer Night's Dream, like Shakespeare, like that was taken from other folklore. I'm just like, yeah, of course, everyone copies everyone else. I think Shakespeare stole everything, but yeah, yeah, he did he come up with anything himself? Probably not. Some words. <laughs> Jay has pointed ears. I love how we saw that at the very end of the book because he normally hides from so under cute. his curly hair. So cute. And he can also like create light. I don't really understand if he's like creating the light or if he's calling like the will of the wisp, but like there's some some magic, but he only has a little bit because he's like a far descendant of Oberon, which was really cute. <laughs> oh, I loved it. And then she would call him baby Oberon. What was it? Yeah, baby Oberon. <laughs> I was like Oberon Jr. What was it? Baby Oberon. <laughs> we have so many ghosts. I loved all the ghosts, especially like the ghost whales and the ghost trilobites. And then when Ellie was like, I'm thinking of summoning a ghost dinosaur. I was like, yes. And then <laughs> and then her grandmother, so Vivian's mom, uh, has like a pet ghost woolly mammoth that she trained to do all sorts of amazing things. And the mammoth is actually a pretty important part of the story. Yeah. And I was looking it up. Um, I was like looking up things about Darcy Little Badger after I finished reading and um, she has a PhD in like oceanography. So maybe that's why we have like such vivid, vivid imagery when she's like in that sea world kind mm. of thing going on. I love it. I love it. It was really cool. And Kirby, Ellie's dog, but he's like a dead dog, but he like she gets to keep her pet forever. And I thought that was so sweet. And I was really sad when I thought he was like not coming back. Like, I don't like dogs, but I understand people and their attachment to their pets, obviously, because I feel that way. But I felt so bad for her. And I was real glad when he came back. 
Uh, I was just like, I refuse to believe. I, I was like, had that stubborn faith where I was like, no, he's definitely, he has to come back. I'm just not even leaving room for the <laughs> other option. <laughs> oh, Kirby. So cute. I loved how like our Kirby is also like our, um, one of the first signposts that this is like an inner, like a very paranormal supernatural mm-hmm. um, fantasy world that we're in because he's, she's just like playing with her ghost dog like on page one or page two or whatever and i'm like oh awesome it was a great way to like just be like nope magic is everywhere all the time it is funny though because i kept picturing kirby as the as like jack skellington's dog from me too christmas (laughs) me too i don't remember what the dog's name is in that movie but um it was all i could think of with his little lighting up nose (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes it's like flickering in and out of visibility yeah yeah and speaking of Ellie and like her calling Kirby and the, like the magic, her magic is also hereditary like Jay's, but it also, but it isn't like diluted for lack of a better word over time. So she, um, Ellie got her powers passed down through generations and they are taught to young people when they are about 12 or 13. But we also see that like young people in the family also have like a, like an, can have a, like an innate connection to it because it was um, the baby that woke up cousin Trevor's ghost. Yeah, but, and it seems like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. Oh, and it seems also like Ellie might be more powerful than her mom is with being able to wake up ghosts and like she can travel to like the afterlife and come back, which is how sixth grade died. So it's not necessarily like jay who has less power because he's a further descendant of lord oberon but like it kind of like it's passed down but like the amount of power you have seems to vary Mm -hmm. vampires i loved the quantity of vampires that there were in this book (laughs) and they're just like around there as secondary characters you know they're not like the focus of anything but they're just like yep there's vampires there's people who have this curse and they described it as like this progressive disease so where eventually you have to, like, you can't just wear sunscreen. You'll, like, burn if you wear sunscreen. Your skin will burn or something. And, or progressively, it gets, like, worse. The older the vampire, the more cursed they, the longer they've been cursed, they can't have, like, blood from a bag. So I was just, like, yeah. in Vampire diary, Diaries nostalgia land <laughs> thinking about this. Probably would have been a good wreck for the... For recommend if you like maybe some vampire diaries <laughs> or the originals which maybe is better than vampire diaries <laughs> you just like klaus yes <laughs> abe allerton slash all of nathaniel grease's descendants so this is like the bad doctor guy the murderer uh have been stealing like quite literally stealing health from black brown and native folks like Trevor and so many before him. And so I thought this was like a clever way of um, supernaturalizing this like actual um, system that is like predicated upon like destroying the bodies of like bodies that are racialized, not as white. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's like a way of like giving it a magical and a narrative turn, you know, like a metaphorizing it, making it a metaphor. I'm using too many sil- 
syllables to say this. <laughs> what do you have to say about this? Um, I was just going to say that we see a lot more of this at the end where it's not only Trevor who comes back, but like a ghost of vengeance that looks like Trevor. And then when Ellie takes Allerton to the land of the dead, there's like a lot of souls there who are there to get their revenge on on Allerton. So I think he's going to be living in like a hellish landscape from now on. <laughs> he deserves it. So he does. I think we already talked about how like Willoughby is a town that moves around a lot, but I have to say those mushrooms were giving me serious Mexican Gothic vibes, which I know we're going to read later in the season. But like when they started talking about the mushrooms, I'm like, what's up with those mushrooms? There's got to be something going on. With <laughs> There's those. some like mycorrhizal fungal <laughs> situation. Suspicious. Yep. Suspicious. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. I'm going to go ahead and say that the white settlers, the yes all white people, <laughs> um, they're just like, especially like in the town of Willoughby, I mean, this is like the like a caricature of the white settler, but it's really not that far removed from the suburbia where I live, right? Um there's a lot of greed there's it's a all an economy based on resource extraction and just like the sense of entitlement and superiority it's illustrated in this book how it's like really firm firmly rooted in racist and anti-indigenous beliefs yeah i would 100 percent agree with that and i would say like the the past and present of settler harm is woven into the book just very seamlessly um like, for example, that conversation about Teddy Roosevelt and how he his like quote about wanting to kill indigenous folks. So yeah, I thought it was a good way to like bring in our real life history that we have witnessed and seen to show like, yes, this is a book and it's like fantastical, but these things also really happened and continue to happen today. Exactly. You said it better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. I just put white folks, and I'm not really sure what <laughs> to say about them, except that they don't... Um, they're getting into a lot of shenanigans. They are... Uh, just really creepy problems staring (laughs) staring at ellie and her friend like following them around i don't i don't even know kidnapping them yes kidnapping them exactly and that dude that tried to kill vivian when she was little that was a white man when was that did i miss that she was like oh yeah you know yes that reminded me of the uh, the missing and murdered like indigenous relatives yeah Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Because they're talking about how they didn't, especially how Vivian was, she was living on the reservation at the time, I think, when she was telling the story. So, um, but maybe that's wrong. I don't remember. I just know that she, like, that she did mention, like, where she lived. She, like, never saw white people. <laughs> I'm like, where is that? Can I go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> kind of 
Um, there's also the Lipan Apache. Is that how you pronounce it? I think I think so. Lipan. Okay. Um, so those are the. I mean, that's Ellie's. You know, the group that Ellie belongs to, and but we don't we don't see that many other people from other like nations. No, and I would say um, in the article that I linked to with the interview from We Need Diverse Books, Darcy did talk about how she wrote about the tribe that she's specifically from and like the what she grew up with. And so she like didn't even really talk about different groups of Apache because like the Lupin Apache are not like the only group of Apache people. So um, she kind of talked about how like they're in books sometimes we don't really see like that there are variations in in the tribes and then in the peoples and even from the same areas so um i thought that article was really interesting for that reason oh i'm definitely gonna read it yeah would recommend yeah shocker all you know indigenous is not a monolith just like black exactly. books aren't a monolith etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> um speaking of which all the races of all the characters are described not just black and brown people which is always so refreshing and removes the idea as white as a default. So I really appreciated this in this book. They also talked about, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier with the progressive disease of the vampires, how eventually they would be like institutionalized because of their disease. And then the government surveillance of certain beings travel like the, the fairies. Um, so just like some things that I feel like Darcy is bringing in from like our real world and putting into the book in different ways, which I found really interesting. A hundred percent. And I think it's also like a cool way to, um, cause it's not a closed magical system and be like an open magical system. Cause it's like not a secret or whatever that there's mm -hmm, supernatural mm -hmm. stuff going on. So it's kind of, it's fun to see how different authors play around with like making this quote unquote, a normal part of, you know, the government bureaucracy or like, mm -hmm. or whatever, you know? Especially because, like, for, for our show, we don't really read a lot of books that take place in our world, in our time with cell phones and, like, the internet and stuff. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it makes a big difference. <laughs> I also wanted to point out that Jay is a cheerleader, and it's not a big deal. Like, there are no homophobic slurs being thrown around. People aren't making fun of him. And that's just something that's really special. Um, I rewatched, what's that movie called? You know? Um, with the cheerleaders bring it on recently and I forgot like it did not age well obviously it pro that means it probably wasn't good in the time but you know our ideas about <laughs> what we can and can't say do change over time but like watching it in this in 2021 I was like oh my god like who let me watch this as a <laughs> as a child <laughs> um all the subliminal so really messaging all the like ooh, yeah like the sexism about cat fighting and stuff like that Oh, and like the straight up homophobic slurs, like not hidden, not like subcontext, like they just said them. Um, so I really appreciated seeing this. And I think that young people are moving in like a better direction than like I was when I was a kid. So I just like appreciated seeing this and like the growth that you see from generation to generation is just, it's pretty magical. Oh, it's so magical. <laughs> Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. Shipwrecked is actually a segment about asexuality today. Yes. We have some ace, ace rep. 
Ellie is Mm -hmm. asexual and it's just mentioned in passing and they bring it up as like more of like what are your access needs for this thing or how comfortable are you with this because like I know you have other this this other thing going on and it wasn't like derogatory or accusatory or like that big a deal it's just you know some people are asexual some people are allosexual and that's just how it is and it was just fine it was real nice Jay and Ellie's friendship is so, so sweet. Like they just, I love how they, Darcy Little Badger sprinkled in like these little routines that they have, like their text message and they know when they message this one thing, that means they're going to meet at this place at this time. And this person's going to order a Sunday and that person's going to order, I don't know, French fries or whatever. I just thought it was like adorable how their little routines were in there and they just like really trust each other yeah and then there was like no romance not even like the idea that there could be a romance but their friendship was written in such a realistic way they look out for each other they help where they can it's like a very balanced relationship too because i feel like sometimes when we're reading ya books like you'll see one person kind of helping the other person a lot because you know protagonist (laughs) but we don't really see that in this book like they they had like a very balanced friendship i thought and so it was nice to see that yeah, and I didn't feel like Jay was an underdeveloped character, which can happen sometimes with like the, your, your sidekick friend character. For sure. Pros and cons of marrying a vampire? Um, I'm not sure. We have Ronnie and Al. Ronnie is Jay's older sister, and Al is her fiancé, soon-to-be husband, who is a, a vampire, a recently cursed individual. This reminded me of... There's a really good episode of the, this podcast that I like called Gender Reveal, and the host is interviewing Carmen Maria Machado, and they have this whole segment talking about vampires and like <laughs> sex with vampires and like vampires have to be queer and like the blood stuff and like menstruation and vampires and all these things. It's like highly recommend. It's pertinent. <laughs> we'll check it out. <laughs> Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else we feel like in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. I just, words escape me for how to describe this narrative voice. Like, there, it's like funny and it's sincere and it's like almost whimsical at times. It's like self-aware. It's very unique. Do you have any other words to throw at this to like try and capture what it is? <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I think it's because, I mean, we read a lot of books with, you know, I mean, Ellie's like 17 or 18. She just like got her driver's license. But like when you read her voice, I believe that she's a teenager. And I don't think that often happens in YA. Like, and I appreciate it because I'm an adult reading young adult books. So like, it's fine to me when the teenagers don't seem like teenagers unless it's John Green, in which case I'm like, no, thank you. But Ellie just really sounds like a teenager. And I think that's like very unique for it to sound like a teenager without it sounding also like childish, you know, like yeah. too young. Yeah. It didn't sound naive or yeah, exactly. anything. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. But there was something about it that was just like different than other books we've read. It was just like, I want to be with this person's story because I just love how they experience the world. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. We have gorgeous illustrations by Rovina Kai. 
uh, I think this is actually how I knew the book was coming out because I followed this illustrator and she said that she was working on this novel. So I asked, <laughs> I assumed it was a graphic novel. <laughs> you remember oh. when we were talking about this? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think I thought so too. <laughs> and then I was like, oh wait, there's just like, there's only some pictures at the beginning of the chapter. <laughs> they only take up about a third of the page. I don't even think I have the physical book. So I did not see these illustrations. Oh, I'm sorry. They're really pretty. It's okay. I'll get it from the library and look through it. <laughs> um, I also, I liked how these, like the, the illustrated illustrations didn't necessarily, like I'm thinking about like the series that shall not be named and, you know, at, on, on a certain mm-hmm. edition of them, they had mm-hmm. like a little illustration at the top of the chapter that kind of like gives away a big thing of what happens in the chapter. But that yeah. didn't happen in this book. Like they were illustrations that were kind of depicting part Ellie's story, part sixth grade story. I mean, and it's not, they're not separate stories, you know, because they are connected. Um, but I just, they're so cool. They're like little sketchy. They look like line drawings almost. They're very cool. Um, I did a little uh, looking into the publisher um, and Levine, Curi- Levine Carido actually seems pretty cool. Um, we can, in the show notes, link to their fall 2021 catalog. And yeah, Darcy Little Badger has a new book coming out, like Jesse mentioned earlier. Um, and I also saw this other one. I even like screen capped the cover and put it in the show notes so Jesse could see it. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's called The Last Quentista uh, by Donna Barbara Higuera. And it just like looks gorgeous. And I don't know, it seems like Living Querido is doing... They're publishing, I mean, they are publishing Darcy Little Badger, so they're obviously making good choices on that. But yeah, I don't know. The publisher seems to be like, actually, they they're look like they have a diverse group of creators and actually like, you know, put more importance on those sorts of voices. Which is always nice to see. I found a cool series of resources by this site called Teaching Books, and it has like a ton of stuff for a Latsaway. So I'm going to link to those in the show notes. Um, There's interviews, lesson plans, and more. So if you all are teachers or if you want to deepen or if you like, I don't know, want to read this with someone else and do some activities, why would you do that? I don't know. Are you nerds like me? Like a book club. Yeah, like a book club. (laughs) It seemed like more if you were a teacher, these would be lesson plans for students, but you could adapt them or something. I don't know. Or if you wanted to read it with your kid or like a younger cousin or something, it might be cool. I have to mention this because it's super cool. Um, but Darcy is writing a Danny Moonstar star story for Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices, number one. I'm not familiar with the superhero in any way, shape, or form. Um, but as you all know, I love everything Marvel related. Um, and I feel like Ellie would just like love this because she's into comic books. So I thought that was really cool. Yes, yes. Um, Also, I mentioned earlier that I don't really read mystery books, um, and I don't because they often come with a lot of pro-police slant to the stories. So I really like that this story had no police involvement. Obviously, at the end, the FBI comes in to clean things up, but it's really Ellie and her friends and family who solve everything, which I really appreciated. There are some people on Instagram who have talked about this for other mysteries and even other indigenous stories like um, Black Girl Readings review of Firekeeper's Daughter. So I would say check that out because it was like a more in-depth review and talk about um, the like romanticization of police in mystery stories. Um, But I just really appreciated that of this book. 
I'm so glad you brought this up because it would be a massive oversight of mine if we didn't get to, yeah, say no thanks to copaganda. <laughs> no, thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. So none of it in this book, which is good. It's good. Oh, yes. <laughs> Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way? Or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? And I accidentally left this blank. So, Jesse, take it away. Okay. I know this is, seems maybe silly, but I just want to talk about Ellie and Jay's friendship a little bit more. <laughs> because I loved it so much. I'm here for it. Um, I really liked how they ha- like could have something going on and would help each other. Like, when... <laughs> Like when Ellie's trying to help Jay get that, like, fix that heart. So it was like a broken heart. (laughs) And like one person's problems never overshadowed the other person's problems, like, at all. And they were just so respectful of each other. And I just think we can all learn a lot from their friendship. So I know I don't normally get sappy. And when I do, it's in real talk. So like, here you go. Um, That's it. I'm done for the year. But I just love their friendship. <laughs> My heart is all Twitter painted right now. <laughs> listening to you wax poetic about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew you would. I was, I almost didn't put it in. Cause I was like, Kelly's going <gasps> to like this too much. No, <laughs> Friends for the win. <laughs> Friends for the win. <laughs> Are we ready for some card questions? Sound effects. Kelly shaking the box. <laughs> We're up in the production quality on here. There's sound effects now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are, should I do it randomly or should I just pick ones that I like? I mean, I feel like even when you do it randomly, you still just pick the ones you like. So that's up to you. It's like what it's like <laughs> playing a game with me. <laughs> um, oh, this is a good one. Was there a religious or spiritual aspect to this book? I guess in a way there's like a spiritual aspect but not like in a way that I think people normally think of spirituality or religion because like Ellie can commune with like ghosts and so we know that there's an afterlife that exists but not in a way that was like propaganda y <laughs> mm-hmm. no it's not like it's it's you know very far away from anything like institutional religion but uh, there's a very strong you know indigenous spiritual like specific tradition you know they're talking Mm -hmm. about and as far as like with all the ghost lore and you're not supposed to say the person's name and all of the you know different like specifications about the burial site and um you know things like that so I think we saw it come up in like the in the morning and the grief rituals too that the family was doing yeah for sure even Ellie talking about like keeping her hair short while she was in mourning for Kirby right all right I don't like any of those, so I'm going to pick a different one. (laughs) What do you think happens to the character after the book ends? I imagine Ellie. So I'm, I feel like she's Jessica Jones, but paranormal and way cooler and with more ghost dogs and less drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's hope. Oh my God. And closer friendships and family. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less, uh, (laughs) less of that abandonment issue going on. Yeah. But I like that for Ellie because she loves comic books. So I hope she gets her own her own comic book stories out there. Ah, you just tied a bow around that. Nice job. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Shadow Shaper by Danielle Jose Older. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the Library Coven. You can subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice, wherever you listen. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee and you can also support us monthly on Patreon, which you all know by now. Um, and you can also shop at our bookshop.org affiliate page. So those are the links, a lot of the links you'll find in the show notes until next time. Stay magical. <laughs>